And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listeners supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. February is Heart Month. Every year for the month of February, to show our appreciation to Extendivite's faithful customers, we have a sale. If you would like to try Extendivite, now is the time to get a few months ahead and really give Extendivite the time to show you how it works. Most of Extendivite's long-term customers wait for this sale to stock up. People and doctors tell us about the unbelievable improvements that they have experienced in their overall health, not just the heart. Extendivite wants you to experience the power of these herbs. Get a four-month supply for only $115 for either the capsules or tincture. Please take advantage of this once-per-year sale and get healthy for life. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or find us on Amazon. Extend your life with Extend the opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. <laughs> Do you feel as if you don't belong? Do you know you were meant for something more? Well, you were. Knowledge of who you are and where you really are from is within your reach.
Join Janet Kara Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson as they search for the answers as they open up the Stargate to the cosmos. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stargate to the Cosmos, and I'm your host, Janet Kara Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alexson, and our producer is Thomas Becker. And our guest today is Carlos Tanner, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's an American living in Peru, where he has been studying the science of ayahuasca and plant medicine in the Amazon rainforest since 2003. He currently works as the program director for the Ayahuasca Foundation, a nonprofit organization he began in 2009 based out of Iquitos, Peru. He organizes healing retreats and educational courses with authentic indigenous healers called Curanderos to help people in need of healing anything from depression to cancer or who are interested in learning the indigenous healing traditions of the Amazon rainforest. He has participated in over 700 ayahuasca ceremonies and his center has received over 1,000 program participants from all over the world. Because he has witnessed the treatment of over a thousand people with plant medicine, he has a unique perspective and understanding of the indigenous tradition and healing in general. So there's a bio on Carlos on AquarianRadio.com and his contact information, his websites, and Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and a bunch of pictures about uh, beautiful pictures. I, I asked Carlos if he took them about his retreat center there and uh, makes you want to go. Sasha, are you there? I'm here. Looking forward to the program. Anything you want to say? Any besides that? Uh, just uh, I, I consider myself a, a fellow tra- a traveler on uh, the psychedelic path. Of course, I was an apprentice to Stan Groff for many years. And Terrence McKenna was a friend, and he gave me my uh, recipes for <laughs> different recipes for how to mix uh, uh, Banisteriopsis copy and Psychotria viridis, and uh, the kind of different kinds of therapeutics that we could use with in those situations. So I'm really curious uh, to hear what we're gonna uh, new stuff we're gonna learn. Uh, the DMA stuff was really way too tame for me, but uh, a lot of the uh, native stuff uh my ex used to go down all the time and uh work with different shamans there so i'm familiar with those traditions too but uh the amount of uh people you witnessed is amazing and that's what i want you can probably make generalizations way beyond me and so i'm looking forward to your show awesome carlos welcome to the show hi thanks so much janet and sasha for having me on this show i look forward i didn't know that about you sasha so i'm yeah i'm looking forward to uh hopefully like letting you know something maybe that you didn't know already but uh terence mckenna is such a inspiration for me i doubt i would be doing what i'm doing without reading his book so it's super cool to hear that you actually knew him yeah yeah Uh, he had had a place uh, in he uh, had a place in Captain Cook, and uh, uh, way up on the hill. That was before Captain Cook got ruined by the uh, uh, smoke from the volcano. It used to be lovely. And uh, he tried all different recipes, and uh, plus he talks about how uh, when people in the, the jungle met each other, they'd exchange recipes, and some of them had junk recipes, and some of them had wonderful recipes. And I, I bet you've experimented with that, too. 
Uh, yeah. Well, I think once we get into it, my perspective will come out a little bit. I, I love the work that Terrence McKenna did. He, I do treat him as a true pioneer, um, but he came from a different era, and there was a different paradigm that pervaded the culture at that time, and I definitely think there's a lot of changes that have happened since then, and you know, I feel like I, I'm looking now at like the next generation and seeing even further changes, and and I guess that's just the nature of evolution. Oh. Well, tell us about your work and who you are and how you got into this path. Sure. Um, well, it sounds kind of like maybe a little bit in line with what Sasha just described in uh, high school and in college, which I spent in Massachusetts. That's where I'm from. Uh, I started experimenting with psychedelic substances uh, like LSD and psilocybin cubensis mushrooms and mescaline and eventually um, some other substances that aren't so natural like MDMA. And But I was always really fascinated by it and I guess I kind of stood out from the rest of the people uh, my friends who used those substances because I had some I don't know a pull towards I guess you could just say generally shamanism in the sense that if I took mushrooms for example I would end up in the woods by myself like wherever we were that's where I would end up and so I began to feel like a, a real pull to learn more about shamanism. So I think like so many people um, in similar situations, I started reading books by Carlos Castaneda and, um, you know, found out about uh, Terrence McKenna and that kind of uh, group of pioneers, especially especially the work of Richard Evan Schultes. And I became really fascinated with researching it and wanting to experience it, um, it wasn't so easy, you know. Uh, well, first of all, the internet really wasn't. I'm 44 years old, so when I was in college, the internet was just kind of coming out, um, and it wasn't possible to just like figure that out. And and that's kind of what made the trips of Terrence McKenna and most especially Richard Evan Schultes so incredible. Uh, if you're not familiar with Richard Evan Schultes, but he uh, is considered like the the godfather, grandfather of ethnobotany, um, the relationship between plants and humans in culture. And he studied at Harvard University. And, and then in the 40s, he went to Peru and lived in the, I'm sorry, he went to Colombia and lived in the Amazon rainforest uh, for 14 years and this was like at a time when no one did that I and mean, he was just the truest of the true pioneers and he had such an adoration and respect for indigenous cultures and he spent the majority of those 14 years just living with indigenous cultures and he was possibly like one of definitely one of if not the first American to drink ayahuasca and um, but he was quite private about it. But he wrote, he did write about it uh, somewhat, and he brought ayahuasca back. It had already been brought back by another Harvard graduate, Richard Spruce, um, and so it was familiar. But Spruce, I don't think, had ever uh, consumed it. And so Schultes um, 
kind of introduced the world to ayahuasca. And then, of course, people like um, Terrence McKenna and um, William S. Burroughs started traveling and experimenting with it themselves. And, and that kind of slowly started this snowball towards a lot of people being interested in ayahuasca. I was definitely one of them. I began just researching medicinal plants and... Um, you know, as soon as I found ayahuasca, that's what was the most interesting of them all. And even then, there were very, very little information out there compared to what, what's out there now. But it was definitely enough to make me want to do it. Um, but how it, how it all came to be uh, was something quite different. I, I actually did go to Peru in 2000 as a just a regular tourist. I did kind of like the most common thing to do in Peru, which was to go to Machu Picchu. And I did that by myself, and uh, I did run into some people that knew about ayahuasca, which definitely made me more interested. Uh, but I knew I needed to be in the, in the jungle, in the Amazon rainforest, to do that. And I also didn't want to do it unless it was going to be authentic, unless it was going to be like with a real shaman, I, I didn't feel like I wanted that to be my first experience if it wasn't that way. So I didn't, I could have drunk ayahuasca on that trip, but I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm, one day I'll come back. I'll, I'll do it right. I'll go to the Amazon rainforest and find a real shaman and I'll, I'll drink it that way. Uh, of course I had read Terrence McKenna's accounts and um, you know, most of that, those adventures were in Peru, and even though he didn't actually drink with an Iowa, uh, a corandero that often, and that's one of the aspects I touched upon with how the evolution of the cultural paradigm has been shifting. But um, but I you know I, at least it was in the jungle and not like in in a town like Cusco. So uh, that was in 2000, the same year, 2000, when I returned, I got offered my dream job, which was to be a graphic artist for uh, Alternative News Weekly called The Valley Advocate in Western Massachusetts, where I was living at the time. I turned that into my career. I thought this is, you know, everything that I wanted or had been conditioned to believe that I should want for success. And... I had a nice job now, I made a nice salary, I bought a nice car, I got a nice house. You know, I started checking off the boxes of all the things that you're supposed to do when you become a successful adult in the world. Uh, unfortunately, I began uh, feeling kind of miserable and I knew that there was more on my path, like that I had a path and that my career was preventing me from following it. But I was so conditioned by the concept of career and success that I just accepted that that was a consequence of success, that you couldn't actually live that way anymore. You couldn't live by the omens of the universe. You couldn't follow your inner voice anymore. You just had to show up for work. And so that's what, what it meant to be an adult. Uh, that didn't really settle with me, though. And so... I struggled a lot with how to cope with this aspect of success that was like preventing me from feeling satisfied in my life because true satisfaction was what I felt when I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, what I was meant to be doing, what I was, you know, what following my path, you know, and, 
and I wasn't following it anymore. And so I think as a result, I turned to hard <clears throat> drugs like uh, opiates, painkillers, to try to numb myself from having to deal with not being satisfied. And, and so three years later, I found myself still with a successful career and all the possessions and, you know, the, the things on your checklist for success, but also now a drug addict. And I was kind of spiraling downward. And that culminated in me waking up in my car at around three in the morning underwater because I had blacked out behind the wheel of my car driving home from a bar where I had also been taking drugs. And I had driven into a river and my car was now underwater. I had to just wake up and realize that I'm underwater and jump out the window of my car and swim to the shore of the river. And uh, that was definitely a big wake-up call for me that regardless of how successful my career was or any of that or whatever I'd been conditioned to believe, the reality was that I could have died that night and I might die if I don't make a big change in my life. And I knew that that change meant getting back onto the path of my life, what I was meant to do or what the universe was calling me to do or guiding me to do and that I had been ignoring for those three years leading up to that because that was 2003. So I quit my job and I just kind of waited for a sign. And um, it didn't really take long. It was like two weeks later that I got an email from a friend of mine who had been teaching English in Japan. And now she, on her way back, stopped in Peru, decided to go to the Amazon rainforest just to see the jungle, met two guys from Russia named Roman and Eugene, and they said that they knew a real shaman and that they had been drinking ayahuasca with this shaman and that she could drink ayahuasca with them. And for some reason, she thought of me, and she wrote to me to see if I wanted to fly down to Peru and drink ayahuasca with the shaman and these two Russian guys she had met in Iquitos, Peru. I knew that was a sign. Like As soon as I read the email, I was like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And so I magically used the insurance money from the car that I totaled by driving it into the river and flew down to Peru. And... Yeah, that experience changed my life completely. I, I found <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah, I, that would. <laughs> I I realized the the roots of my problems. Uh, I realized so much. I mean, I just uh, I it's it's very hard to describe like what a transformation occurred while I was there. But the shaman I was with, or the corandero as they call them, uh, whose name was Don Juan, he invited me to become his student. He told me that my path was to be a healer, to be a corandero, and that if I wanted to, I could live with him as his student and that he would teach me. And so I accepted his offer and I moved back to Peru. I went home first and cleaned up, you know, tied up all the loose ends of my life and moved out of my house and sold all my possessions. And then I moved down to Iquitos, Peru in January of 2004 and 
I lived with that teacher for four years. And at the end of those four years, came up with the idea for the Ayahuasca Foundation and also met my wife. So I moved out of his house and um, began living with my wife and together, the two of us, along with my other two teachers that I had come along, uh, come across along the way, uh, we formed the Ayahuasca Foundation. Wow. So, and what year was that? That was, we started in 2000? Yeah, that was 2009 that we founded the uh, Ayahuasca Foundation. So we're coming so, up on our 10-year anniversary. 10 years. So how did you start getting so, people to come down there? Go ahead, Sasha. You asked a question. Wait, Go ahead. Yeah, before that, what did you learn about yourself and the world from taking uh, uh, ayahuasca before? You, get, you know, what's the Reader's Digest uh, summary of the, the, the wisdom you gained? Oh, man. Yeah, uh, the Reader's Digest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this would have to be a big, a big copy of Reader's Digest, but I'll try to sum it up. Um, the first thing I learned, which was very, very fast, was that what I thought I knew about reality was just a glimpse. It was as if I, um, as if here's a good analogy. I love analogies. I hope you guys like analogies, but uh, yeah. it was. You know, it was as if I had just been um, snorkeling through life, and now I got to scuba dive. And so I had seen, like, what was on the surface, but for the first time ever, I saw, and I think Terrence McKenna calls it, like, be behind the circuit board, um, I saw... Yeah so much more you know there was just so much more like unfathomably more <laughs> like there what i thought i knew was everything was really less than one percent of what i now thought was everything and <laughs> and that was huge but then the second um aspect of that which was my second ceremony um during that ceremony uh I felt a hand lay on my shoulder, like uh, someone putting their hand on my shoulder. And I looked over. I'm in an ayahuasca ceremony, but I have my wits about me. I know where I am. And I look over, and there is a hand on my shoulder, and it's attached to an arm and a body of a man who's standing right next to me with his hand on my shoulder, like in a supportive way except that he is not made of flesh. He's made of light. And yet I can feel his hand on my shoulder and I'm my eyes are open. I'm looking right at him and he's looking right at me. And I was just like, man, this is, this is pretty real. Like, this is so real. Like, it was just, you couldn't be realer. But yet at the same time, my perception or my my conception of what a spirit was was not that it was real, not to that degree, you know. And, and then my friend at that moment called over to me and said, Carlos, I'm looking over at you and it looks like there's a man standing next to you. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, I'm looking at him too, uh, but it's okay. He's a good guy. I could just tell from his facial expression and, and, you know, the way he was standing in support of me and, 
And she said, are you sure? Because it's freaking me out. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. At which point I'm like, well, you you can't see a hallucination of someone else. You know, like, I can't be hallucinating this. She can see it too. So this this spirit is real. And so I put my hand out and he shook it. And I, I shook hands with him. I felt his hand in mine. And I asked him what his name was, and he told me. And as soon as he told me his name, I recognized him. And he was someone that was very important to me when I was a child, my godmother's son, which is kind of cool because you could say he was my god brother. And um, he was 10 years older than me, so he, uh, had, he was 16 when I was 6. And so he had a car when I was just like a little kid, and he would take me he fishing. He English? Was Excuse he talking me? in English to you? Was he yeah. talking in English to you? Yes, he spoke English because, I mean, he was my godmother here in Massachusetts. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we would go fishing. So I would stay over at his house, at my godmother's house. We'd collect worms the day before, and then he'd take me out to a pond and just the two of us in nature at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, looking back, I feel like he played an important part in developing my... Uh, love for nature and my respect for nature and in the quietness of it and and so he had passed away that year and I hadn't spoken to him just like because of the age difference you know when when I was nine he went off to college and then he joined the military and you know I just never saw him again by the time where our paths just didn't cross ever again so I hadn't seen him since I was nine years old um, but because my mother and my godmother were best friends, she knew, my mother knew. And so she had told me, like, hey, your, you know, your, your godmother's son passed away and he had committed suicide. And that's, oh. and that's all I knew. But that night, I wasn't thinking about him. You know, I wasn't, like, I, I, there was no, like, oh, I'm going to try to meet him or anything like that. I was, you know, I only drank ayahuasca one time which was three days two days earlier so i uh you know i wasn't like figuring i hadn't figured it out but here he was you know here i am i'm shaking hands with him and and he's telling me that that's who he is and and of course now i recognize him he was like in his 30s now so you know it looked he looked different than i remembered but i could recognize him once he told me his name and then because he had committed suicide which was you know oh my gosh like you're him and I, you're dead. And so, oh, your spirit, like my mind is like, you can maybe imagine, like I'm just my, it's cracking wide open. Like, oh my God, like all of this stuff, every trying to process all the information and a piece of information that flew in at that moment was, well, if you, if you commit suicide, then you're stuck in purgatory. And honestly, I'm not a very uh, religious organization type of person, so I don't really know where that comes from, but it was there. And so I immediately think, oh, my gosh, he's stuck in purgatory. So I said, do you need my help? And uh, he thought that was pretty funny, and he laughed, and he said, no, you need my help. And uh, and. <laughs> that was such a pivotal experience for me because at that point and from then on and to this day, 
you will never change my mind about the reality of spirit and what it means to be real. Like, what, is a, what does it mean for me that spirits are real? It means that they are just as real as anything else. And they can, I could touch them and, and talk to them and see them with my eyes open. And, you know, I just, and someone else could see him too. Like it was just as real as possible. And, and because that was my experience, that set an incredibly strong foundation for me to start on this path or maybe confirming that this path really was meant for me because I didn't believe that spirits were real anymore. I knew without a doubt that there was no way that they couldn't be. You know, they they were completely 100% real, just as real as anything else. And that was my second ceremony. And so I went into so- the third ceremony you know, with that behind let me, me. Let me ask a question on that before we go to the third ceremony. So you're saying that he had, he was older than when he died or older than when you knew him? No, he had was. He lived his life? Yeah. I, I, I got you confused know, there. You know, I, I don't know what he looked like when he died, to be totally honest, because I hadn't seen him since uh-huh. I was nine years old. That I was 28 years old, so he would have been 38 uh, when he died, 37 or 38. I'm not sure exactly what month he died, to be honest. I don't remember. But um, but somewhere around there, in his late 30s. But that, but he looked like he was in his 30s. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say, like, how precise you can get when you look at someone. But usually you can kind of tell if they're in their 30s or in their 40s. And he definitely looked like he was in his 30s. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know if that's exactly how he looked or maybe... You know, he shed a few years um, in his spirit. His spirit possibly looked younger or not. But he definitely looked like he was older than me, like in his 30s. Mm-hmm. And before I even knew, oh, oh, oh. before I knew who he was. Uh, before, uh, you know, uh, ahead, he departed, did uh, he uh, converse with the uh, woman that was concerned about his presence and, and, and freaked out a bit? Did no. they talk to each other? No, no. Um, that was an interesting phenomenon. I mean, he was there for me, obviously. Um, I mean, to me, that was obvious. I had a connection with mm-hmm. him from mm-hmm. my childhood, and and it, but I didn't I didn't think about how important that connection was until after that experience, and then I started talking to him. Uh, sorry, talking about him, you know, to my friend, explaining who that was after the ceremony and then I start as I'm explaining I'm realizing like wow this guy kind of shaped who I was like I was only six years old but because of his influence I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and drive out to these really remote little ponds in the middle of nowhere and spend hours kind of quietly with this guy and you know how that must have shaped my appreciation for nature in general and um but yeah, that more important to me, looking back, like how important that experience was in shaping my uh, my view of of reality, essentially. So, I mean, now I I had questions. I guess you could say I I believed in the spirit, but I thought prior to that experience that spirits were maybe a kind of like a cloud of dust, almost like a cloud of energy, like that. 
created life in you, but I didn't think that it was like something you could shake hands with and, you know, and, and, and be so real. So, so now my, my, my perception of reality had expanded quite a bit just from that experience. But then, of course, questions about what happens to you when you die. Uh, is there an afterlife? Things like that. You know, um, I was beginning to start to think that there was more than I thought. And and also come up with answers to questions that I had only guesses at before, especially what happens to you when you die. Um, so when I went into the third ceremony, I knew spirits were real, that this was real. And and that definitely shaped my experience quite a bit in the in the third ceremony. And and that was the third ceremony was the, the ceremony in the ceremony, the, the Corandero Don Juan. Um, told me that it was my path to be a healer, and that's when he invited me to to live with him and study with him. and And my experiences were um, very, very profound. They definitely confirmed what he was saying, and I knew, like by the end of that ceremony, I knew that that was my path, that it was my destiny to be a healer, that this is what I was born to do. And and so when I went into the fourth ceremony, I not only, you know, knew that this was real and spirits were real, but that I was born to be a healer and that this was my path. And so when they have that those beliefs um, as the support beams of your system of beliefs, uh, you know, working beliefs you could say like how you function then you can imagine like what you're going to do on top of that support and that structure and so that fourth ceremony I healed myself because I knew that I could at that point I knew that I could and I, I literally feel that everyone can but the trouble is getting us to that point where we know that we can heal ourselves and I think that's what a corandero does and that's what makes ayahuasca so fascinating is that it actually provides you with the opportunity to have experiences that confirm how powerful you are and allow you to see it with your own eyes and feel it with your own heart the truth of your own empowerment to heal yourself or to know yourself or to live the way that you want to be and to love yourself and that's what makes ayahuasca so fascinating for me and and what I've seen so many times in the transformations that occur when other people receive treatment with ayahuasca. Did you under, uncover why you'd become addicted to drugs? What led you to that? Yeah, that was such a fascinating um, part. And that totally that has come. I'm so thankful, so, so thankful for how that has all come full circle. And I hope we have a chance to talk about that. But just to start, um, yes, I I got to see in a ceremony a vision from my life, my childhood, when I was probably uh, eight years old, maybe. And I don't know exactly, but I think it was right around when I was eight years old. And I was in my room, and my brother and I shared a room. And our the wall of one of our walls in our room was shared by my parents' bedroom on the other side of the wall. 
And I was using a glass to listen through the wall. And my parents were arguing. And my older brother, who was three years older than me, he was crying. and But he could only hear like the, the anger of the voices of the argument because he wasn't listening. But I was listening. I could actually hear what they were saying. And they were talking about money, and which I'm sure is probably the number one topic of arguments between couples, but um, married couples. But they brought my name up. Now, I have three older brothers, so I'm the fourth of four boys and the baby of the family. And for some reason, they chose to bring my name up that they were not going to have enough money for me. And, you know, so it, it made me feel like if I hadn't been born, then they wouldn't be fighting. And, mm. you know, so I was, it was my fault that they were having these money problems because the way that they brought me into the conversation made it seem like I was this extra um, expense that wouldn't have been a problem, you know, if I wasn't there. And, and all of that, you know, was obviously inaccurate, but I was eight years old. And, and so at that point, I suffered what would be called a childhood trauma. Like I interpreted an experience inaccurately, but to such a deep level that it actually uh, modified my life in a really big way from then on. My behavior was changed significantly then, and also my self-perception. Because like in so many cases of trauma, I felt guilty about something that I shouldn't have felt guilty about that had nothing to do with me and it wasn't my fault at all. But I didn't understand that because I didn't have the level of maturity to properly understand that. And so at that moment, I began to not love myself completely. And that eventually would lead to self-hatred or loathing or unworthiness or however you want to describe it but negative feelings directed from myself to myself and a deteriorating effect and I also started pushing away love so if so that that year for example I asked my parents if I could not have a birthday party because then they wouldn't have to spend money. And I did not want them to buy me presents for Christmas. And I didn't want them to give me presents for a birthday party. Salute. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I began like rejecting their offers. And so my dad would be like, hey, we're going to buy clothes for school. And I was like, oh, I don't want any. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just wearing the clothes I have. You know, I was constantly pushing them away. And because I felt like I was a burden on them. And I held on to that. And I had totally forgotten about it. I had completely forgotten about it. Here I was 20 years later. I didn't remember that. But now I was seeing it right there. It was right in front of me. Like I was watching a movie of my life. And as I saw it, I remembered it, of course. I'm like, oh my God, I totally remember that. But I didn't realize mm -hmm. just what a devastating effect that it had on my life. And it had created such a separation between my parents and me and also with all of the relationships I'd been in where I would 
kind of always feel like I was a burden in the relationship as a result of this one single incident that I had interpreted wrongly. And, and then right there in the ceremony, I was able to correctly interpret the experience. My parents had gotten a divorce, you know, so that had like confirmed that my, I had like ruined the family, you know. And I was like, no, I didn't. That was nothing about me, you know. And I corrected the, the proper interpretation now that I was 28 years old and understood the situation. And in correcting that, I was able to patch the container that held my self-love and that hole that I had cracked it with and when I was eight years old that, that kept leaking self-love out of that container was no longer cracked. And now I could hold my self-love and now I could love myself fully again. And yeah, that didn't fix all of the repercussions. Of course, my relationships were still the way they were, but it allowed me to have the right mindset and the right belief system of myself so that I could start to mend those relationships. And that took time. But thankfully, I was able to mend my relationships with my parents and, and have a healthy relationship and eventually like go on to get married and have children of my own, which I never thought I would do. At, you know, when I was 28, I thought, well, that's never going to happen. I don't want to do that, you know, because I had this buried childhood trauma. And so ayahuasca was able to do to release that. And, and so when, how did that play into my drug addiction? Well, you know, that was just one of the ways that I think a lot of us deal with, um, you know, trying to self-medicate, you could say. Uh, we try to numb feelings that we have in various ways. And some for some people, it's drugs. Some people, it's drinking or or shopping or, you know, whatever it is. We, we find something that we are uh, eating, maybe, that we use as a tool to try to prevent ourselves from having to face some of the feelings that we just don't know what to deal with. And so for me, that was... you find that a lot of people have those types of critical incidences in in your work? Definitely. Is that... That's very common? I would say pretty much 100%. But that's that's how I look at it. Like, over the years, I've just begun looking at it almost entirely in those terms um in terms of like a container for love that gets cracked and how deeply is the crack you know like you you have a container and you're supposed to be filling it with your own love like a love that comes freely into you and that's what every child is born with at some point that container gets damaged it gets cracked how deeply is the is the container cracked is it just dripping you know, you could live your whole life and it, you just have a little cr- couple drops dripping out. That's not a big deal. But if you have a big hole in it and you can't even hold love in it for a day, then you're going to suffer. You're going to be suffering a lot. You're going to have deep depression. And and I would say that now everyone falls on a depression spectrum. And, you know, the question is whether you're in a good place on that spectrum or whether you're in a terrible place and and most of the people that come down are looking for help so they're not in the best place 
Sasha has a question. You know, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, from my uh, perspective, uh, the uh, the things that we uh, develop the, to um, mask our pain from ourselves, for example, your utilization of, of a substance, alcohol, uh, or drugs uh, of the depressant kind, uh, really have uh, a, a something to contribute to. And I have to note that you have now you what you what, underneath the, uh, the the bad manifestation or the deleterious manifestation, there was a knowledge that substances could help you uh, cope with. And I would point out that you seem to be doing that very thing with ayahuasca. It's not a false thing. It's just that it has to be in a perspective of a centered person. But the ability to use substances in this case, uh, 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 to help yourself and other people is, is, is quite valuable from my perspective anyhow. Oh, I definitely agree. I think that the most, I, I'm, I, I think this is, and I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up, Sasha, because it um, it allows me to talk about something that I think is perhaps a little bit more troublesome, and and gets to what I call like kind of the root of understanding this tradition and how I understand it, at least. Um, we in the West are very preoccupied with the material. Our paradigm, you could call a materialistic paradigm and I don't mean like materialistic because we like to buy things although that certainly is true uh, but I just mean the the material of something we want the substance of it you know we look at uh, medicine like what is the the chemical what is the active ingredient and how does that chemical affect in a physical way the other material in our cells and you know everything is very material based um, Whereas the the paradigm of plant medicine and especially with ayahuasca obviously is not so so physical. It's spiritually based. Um, but there is a common denominator between the two, and that is relationship. And so when it comes to substances, uh, you know, what's the difference between a drug and a medicine? Well, the substance is in many cases is the exact same. You know, how many people have uh, a drug addiction to a pharmaceutical medication that they were actually prescribed originally? Tons. But why? Wh at what point did it become a drug as opposed to a medicine? And that, to me, is dependent upon the relationship that they have with it. And so if you have oh. a good relationship with a substance, then, and, then it will help you. Then it can be a beneficial experience for you and and then it's a medicine but if you have an unhealthy relationship even to the same exact substance then it's now detrimental and 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 we're very very familiar with relationships so i i use the concept of relationships as a very um obvious bridge for people to be able to understand how the spiritual paradigm works because your relationship to plants also is the same way and and what makes a healer or a corandero a corandero is that they have very good friendships with medicinal plants they have very good deep loving relationships with trees and the spirits of these trees and plants and so when they drink ayahuasca they call their friends to be with them and then those spirits of those plants allow them to heal so yeah i'm not knocking that there is a substance involved and i think that the concept of medicine is certainly 
on par with that. You know, you use a substance to help you. But if you have a bad relationship to your substance, then it's most likely that you will not receive benefit from it because the nature of your relationship is negative. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense. And but what what you're calling a bad relationship uh, to me just means uh, that I haven't uh, gone deep into the underlying needs that motivate the relationship. Uh, and the key uh, to uh, something that you gets a pejorative label like an addiction or a medicine in, in this case uh, um, is that uh, underneath all, all of that, what need is it answering? And that need uh, exists in an uh, ecology uh, of subselves and aspects of myself and myself in relationship to other relationships. At least that's how I look at things. Well, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I do think that there is such a thing as a negative relationship, though. And, um, and I think that we're very, it's, I think it's common for us to see negative relationships between people. Um, because that's mm -hmm. the most common uh, use of the term relationship. And so if you don't mm -hmm. love yourself, for example, and, oh, yeah. and so then you seek out a person uh, because you don't love yourself and because you're, you're, you are not complete, then you seek out a person that allows you to feel complete. And, and usually that's the perfect recipe for an unhealthy relationship. And, and so... I don't know if I would say that, you know, seeking out a person that might be abusive um, is like because you haven't figured out why you're with that person. You know, like I, 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 I don't know if that if I would be able to use the same analogy you just used for the substance. I think that that there are definitely people in unhealthy relationships, and I think that the underlying cause most likely is that they don't have enough love for themselves. And if they don't feel yeah. empowered and powerful enough to make the, the, the choices that they might know are right for them, but because they don't love themselves to the completeness that they deserve, then they allow those, those unhealthy relationships to continue. And, and so I do think that a lot of people, and myself included, like we're, we were using substances that like falsely allowed us to feel that we didn't have any problems, you know. And so we were like masking oh. our problems. And I think that's a, kind of a lot of what pharmaceutical medication does in in the Western paradigm. Like we have the root of our problem, and, but then it, it expresses itself as a symptom. And so Western medicine sees the expression of the root, like the symptom, and then treats the symptom. I kind of use an analogy. It's like if your car has a, an, the engine light come on in your car, then you take it to a mechanic, except that the mechanic's like, oh, I see that the engine light's coming on. Oh, I'll fix that. And they just take the bulb out of the engine light. And then they're like, now the engine light's not coming on. And then you drive your car until you break down. And I think that pharmaceutical medication, unfortunately, the, the paradigm of Western medicine, uh, gets caught up in doing that, where they're trying to stop the symptoms, but they're not actually addressing the root. And I think that a lot of people that are using or are in unhealthy relationships with substances are are essentially doing the same thing. Thank you. You make you make a lot of sense to me. Uh, it sounds sounds like you know knew my uh, my mechanic too. <laughs> 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 
curious about, and we're gonna, we're coming up on the break. We have a couple more minutes, and we're going to go to the break, top of the hour, and we'll be back in five minutes after that. But what I'm curious about is how these um, entheogens, ayahuasca, can facilitate people coming to the realization that they are worthy, that they can love themselves, to start feeling that empty hole with other things besides, you know, dysfunctional codependent relationships. So I'm right. curious about that. Um, and I hope we can get to some of that. What do you want to uh, present, what do you hope to present to our listeners in the second half of this show, Carlos? Uh, well, I would love to talk about that. I mean, honestly, I hope that I can um, provide some of the lessons that I have learned in a way that you don't have to go to the Amazon rainforest to realize those truths or those that those bits of wisdom that might be able to make a change in people's lives. Of course, if you do want to go to the Amazon or you do feel like you need more than just you know some some lessons or some advice, um, then I would be happy to talk about the re the pro programs that we have. I mentioned something about coming full circle when I started my own story about releasing my childhood trauma, and that's because right now we are currently hosting a research study. Um, two year a year and a half ago, I opened a research center called the Riospo Ayahuasca Research and Education Center, with the specific purpose of bringing scientists in to study in a scientific manner and then demonstrate to the Western world in their own language, in their own paradigm, or our own paradigm, uh, how effective ayahuasca can be at relieving childhood trauma. And so that study is happening right now. And in conjunction with that is a study on epigenetic changes um, as a result of ayahuasca and plant medicine treatment. And that study is so cool, and I'm so proud of it, to be honest, because it's the first study ever on ayahuasca that was funded by the UK government. So a government of a very prominent first world country is funding research to better understand how ayahuasca can be used as a tool for healing. And to me, that's, uh, that's a really beautiful sign that we're on the right track and that there's a real paradigm shift happening in the world and that, you know, the world is starting to understand that indigenous culture and, and perspectives that are unfamiliar to us may hold the answers to a lot of the questions that we haven't been able to solve ourselves. Are you writing a book or is there going to be a documentary based on this research? Yeah, there is a documentary that was shot the last month. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with it. It just wrapped. So there's going to be some integration filming um, to like follow up afterward. They followed some people that did a four-week program, and, and the filmmaker himself did that program as well. And that was funded in part by Channel 4 out of the UK also. Um, so perhaps that will come out on television in the UK and then be available via the Internet as well for download. Um, the The... Research itself, of course, will be published, and I, perhaps we'll have another um, film crew down, but I do hope to publish my own book by the end of the year as well, um, but, but that will not, I'm not a scientist, you know, so that won't really be a, a scientific um, story, but much more of a, like, uh, kind of adventure story about how all of this happened. Um, 
But yes, I, I do plan to write a book, and, and hopefully, I've been writing it. Hopefully, it'll be published by the end of the year. Oh, we'll have to have you back when you get it published, but uh, looking forward to seeing that. So, that sounds great, exciting. So, when you get those links, you'll have to send them and I'll put them on the show page. Definitely. Um, we we will also research for the world. There's a um, Netflix series that will be coming out in July. Unfortunately, they don't have a title for it yet, but um, at some point in July, there'll be a, a Netflix series that features our center. Wonderful. Okay, we'll be back in five minutes uh, after this commercial break. See you soon. Sounds great. Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. In breaking news, a visiting Syrian diplomat reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge, Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision which has led you inexorably here you haven't answered my question the matrix is older than you know as you are undoubtedly gathering the anomaly is systemic creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation choice the problem is choice Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Revealed with Monique Lassan. Hello, my name is Mr. Rowe. I am the host of Reality Extraction. On Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, I utilize logic, intellect, and magic to methodically autonomize, vivisect, analyze, examine, study, scrutinize, and extract an essence of reality from a fog of illusion and confusion. You can find me on Studio B every Thursday at 1700 hours Pacific Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic taboo, no subject too strange. I strive to take a neutral standpoint during the dissection of the topic at hand. That's Reality Extraction with Mr. Rowe on Revolution Radio.
This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Thanks for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Courses back, back, back. Schedule will be on Revolution Radio every Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. You get outer space. You get honest answers, real researchers, truthful answers, and a place to engage with questions. Take part in the discussion. Revolution Radio on freedomslips.com host Collision Course every Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central. 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. February is Heart Month. Every year for the month of February, to show our appreciation to Extendivite's faithful customers, we have a sale. If you would like to try Extendivite, now is the time to get a few months ahead and really give Extendivite the time to show you how it works. Most of Extendivite's long-term customers wait for this sale to stock up. People and doctors tell us about the unbelievable improvements that they have experienced in their overall health, not just the heart. Extendivite wants you to experience the power of these herbs. Get a four-month supply for only $115 for either the capsules or tincture. Please take advantage of this once-per-year sale and get healthy for life. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or find us on Amazon. Extend your life with Extend the opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to 
your host. Aloha and welcome back to Stargate to the Cosmos. And I'm your host, Janet Care Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson. Our producer is Thomas Becker and guest is Carlos Tanner. But before we get back to this very interesting show on ayahuasca and other things related, I'd like to remind everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and make your donation this week. And we greatly appreciate your donation because your donations are what keeps us broadcasting on the air. Thomas Becker, how are we doing with our fundraising efforts this month? Whoa. Believe it or not, we've already made February's goal, and we're $47 to the good for March. So oh please donate. Thank well, everybody for uh, donating so far this month. We sure appreciate it. That's wonderful. This is a short month, and we uh, are ahead of the game. Wonderful. Sasha, are you back? Are you there? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, uh, I'm very uh, excited about this show, and I want to hear some more from Carlos. Right on. All right, Carlos. We were talking about um, the extraterrestrial con uh, perspective. Uh, like, what what happens when you open these? What are we doing when we're doing ayahuasca? Are we opening stargates, portals, interdimensions? Uh, what's going on there? And tell us about your extraterrestrial encounters. Okay, sure. Uh, but I definitely want to get back to the question that you were talking right before the break about how ayahuasca can help you regain regain your self love. Oh so yes. Let's not forget to get back to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll start with this and my take on it. Um, the way that I look at what ayahuasca does, uh, I feel like it acts as an amplifier for our sensory perception. And so uh, everyone is familiar, if you went to basic elementary school pretty much, of the visible spectrum. The visible spectrum, which I remembered as Roy G. Biv, the the colors of the rainbow and all the those are all the light frequencies that biologically our eyes are able to perceive and yet scientifically which might have not been elementary school but a little bit later we know that the visible spectrum and that spectrum of frequency of light is less than 1% of all the light that exists. And so we know like there's ultraviolet light and all these light frequencies beyond that and infrared light and all these lower frequencies beyond that. And so we're kind of somewhere in the middle, so to speak, with all of these higher frequencies above us and all these lower frequencies below us, the heavens and the underworld, you could say. And ayahuasca amplifies that perceptive ability so that we can actually see beyond the limitations of our own biology into frequencies of light that would normally be invisible. And so whatever reflects those frequencies of light now becomes visible. And it, that's also true of what it does to our audible perception. So there's a spectrum of uh, sound waves and sound frequencies that only our ears uh, have a limitation on either end as well. And we know like by dogs um, reacting to a dog whistle or animals have uh, different frequencies in their spectrum, but 
our spectrum can be expanded and ayahuasca is a substance that allows it to be amplified or expanded as well. So we can hear sounds that would normally be inaudible and all of the senses are uh, amplified in that way or, or expanded especially some of the tactile senses that we don't even have names for, um, some of the like intuitive senses or the senses uh, that are more subtle in our body, they become less subtle in ayahuasca experiences. And so all of that combines to increase our ability to know ourselves and to know the world around us. So what do I think is another dimension? I think have a very scientific perspective on it, I would say. I think that we live in the dimension that is dictated by our ability to perceive. And if you look above, and and we we measure that that reality in terms of energy frequency. And so if you go above the frequency of our limitations, then you have the higher dimension. And if you go below it, then you have the lower dimensions. And But what you're talking about with the word dimension is is just a, a, a reality that is inaccessible to us due to the biological limitations. So I do think that ayahuasca allows us to enter other dimensions, except that by that definition, you're not totally like in another dimension, so to speak. Um, and so that would be like my generalized view. However, I have definitely had experiences that fit more into like a portal. Um, I would categorize the experiences that you can have on ayahuasca as a spectrum as well. You would have experiences where you don't really feel much happening when you drink ayahuasca. And then another would be that you see patterns and you feel strange sensations, but they don't really have meaning for you. And then another would be that you have recognizable uh, elements in your visions that do have significance to you. And then beyond that, that you have interactions with spirits where they act in a way that you know that they know of you and you're aware of them and they're aware of you. And then you can have visions or experiences where spirits are acting on you in a physical way where you can feel them and touch them the way I described the experience with my god brother and then beyond that where you have are not where you are anymore and that last part is the the one that is a lot harder to try to describe with my first attempt um, where you're not in the world of where you were, you know, you started a ceremony and you were in a room and you knew the people in that room and now you are not in that room anymore. And that's where I would describe it as like your spirit leaving your body. And I guess that would be then in line with what people call like astral projection or traveling. And perhaps, you know, then you would need to use terms like the portal or something like that to describe it. I'm not really sure what uh, terminology I use. I guess I would say that my spirit left my body. Um, and and those are the most fascinating experiences for sure. Um, mm-hmm. when, in terms of extraterrestrials, what is an extraterrestrial? I've always wondered, you know, if you see a spirit, how do you know if it's not from that, if it's not from the earth and, you know, should it be called an extraterrestrial or not? And I'm sure that a lot of times we're, maybe calling something that's from the earth, but, 
in a form that we're not familiar with an extraterrestrial when it's really from the earth or whatever. Um, I have definitely seen UFOs and I have definitely seen beings from other planets, uh, other parts of the galaxy and communicated with them. And um, my very first ceremony, I didn't even talk about my first ceremony, but my very first ceremony, I went outside at one point to throw up because that's often a part of the experience. I was looking up after I threw up, I was looking up at the sky. It was my very first time ever being on ayahuasca. And now I was outside for the, also the first time ever being outside on ayahuasca. And while I'm looking at the sky, a UFO flew over and hovered over my head and I was just staring at it. I was by myself and, um, then another UFO, and then a third UFO higher in the sky, but much, much larger, like 100 meters in diameter UFO, at which point I became a little nervous because I'd never seen a UFO. I thought maybe I'm going to get beamed up or abducted or something. Again, like your mind is racing when it is presented with new material that kind of cracks open your head or your perception of reality. I went inside. I told... Uh, the guys that I was with, those two Russian guys, Roman and Eugene, and they told the Corandero, because I didn't speak Spanish at that time, and, and the Corandero replied by saying, oh, did you see the big one? You know, like I said, I'd just seen UFOs, and he's, his reply is, did you see the big one? I'm like, yeah, I, I did. Um, and so the next day I spoke with the Corandero with my help of a translator and um, and learned that he'd you know, been working with extraterrestrials for quite some time. And so then I began to uh, visit with these uh, with these extraterrestrials as well. And I began to learn from them and actually went into their ship and actually went back to where they live. Um, and that was... Well, wait, know, slow that down. Pretty so fascinating. How did you get into their ship? How did you get into their ship? Uh, well, I just asked them, uh, you know, the ship hovered, a smaller ship, the, the big ship. I, I never saw the big ship again, to be honest. That was the one time I saw it. Um, but the smaller ships, which were quite small, like 20 feet in diameter, maybe even less, maybe 15. Um, and so they would often be there, like almost every ceremony they would at least one of them would be over the ceremony at some point. And so I asked, like, hey, can I can I come up to your ship? Can I see in your ship? And so they just I didn't I want to say beamed me up, but they I didn't see a beam or anything, but I definitely rose up, but my spirit rose up, not my physical body. Um and and that to me is how I perceive extraterrestrials i i don't i don't know well i it's hard to say because i i only had experience with a, a a handful of them you know i'm sure there's billions or trillions of them um but the ones that i experienced i don't know if they had i don't know if i would call them physical beings like i don't think their body vibrated energy as dense as ours if, if that's a way of saying it you know like they what we call physical I think they were at a different frequency and we would probably call it light rather than like flesh, you know? Um, mm -hmm. 
And so my spirit was like on par with their existence, you know. So I, all of my interactions with them were always my spirit. My body was always back in the ceremony, just sitting there. I always wondered like what it was doing, <laughs> what, what my body would look like when I was there. Probably just looked like I was asleep. But um, but yeah, so I, on the ship, I saw them. I met them. And then at a certain point, I asked like, can I go like where... And I go to where you guys live. And um, and so then I traveled in their ship and saw like their city on the moon of Jupiter. And um, and yeah, so that leads me to a pretty cool story. And I'll tell that story. And I apologize because I, I could definitely talk about this. And I know you guys love it. But I also definitely want to talk about what you were, were asking about before. Because I, I, as much as... I, as interesting as the extraterrestrials are, I eventually like stopped working with them as much um, because I wasn't finding as much benefit from it. It was fascinating to me, but it wasn't like transforming my life or helping me to uh, be able to heal people. It was very helpful um, in in a in a sense of understanding like the. The, our place in the universe, I guess you could say, but it wasn't mm-hmm. so. Uh, I, I was there to like learn how to heal people with plant medicine. Um, anyway, I so I ended up doing. I, I I mentioned like I had a couple other teachers, so I started like um, drinking ayahuasca with a couple other people. And at at a certain point around 2008, I decided to do a podcast series where I would interview Coranderos live kind of like you're doing and have people write in questions and I would ask them. And, uh, and so I would start that interview with about 30 minutes of my own interview. And I would always ask, do you work with extraterrestrials? And every single Corandero works with extraterrestrials. But, um, I was speaking with my, one of my favorite Coranderos, my favorite people really, uh, Doña Otilia. And she said, yes. And I said, could you tell me anything about them? And she said, uh, well, they're from Ganymedes. And I was like, oh, wow. She she knows, like, the name of the planet they're from. That's pretty cool. And uh, and then she told me a little information about them. And it was kind of the same thing, like, that they, they're helpful, but they're, they're not so much, like, healers themselves. At least that was the perception most of the time. And... And then the next week, I, I interviewed someone that was a Corandero who was just visiting in that town. And I, I was like, oh, this is, you know, while you're here, could I do an interview? And um, he lived 500 miles away. And they definitely did not know each other. Don Yotilia had never met this guy. His name was Don Lucho. And and I interviewed him. And I said, do you, do you work with extraterrestrials? He said, yes. I said, could you tell me anything about them? He says, well, they're from Ganymedes. And I was like, wait, could you say that again? He's like, yeah, <laughs> Ganymedes. And I'm like, no way. That's crazy. Like, that's the same place. And, um, and then three days later, I was out on what's called the boulevard in Iquitos. And it's just kind of like a busy place with restaurants and stuff that people hang out at at night. And a stranger walked up to me and said, I have something to tell you, but I'm not sure how you'll react. But I was like, okay, like, who, who the heck are you? You know? And, he's, and he says, do you know there's life on other planets? And I'm like, well, okay. You know, I, 
you would assume. And he's like, yeah, but right in this solar system. And I said, where? And he goes, Ganymedes. And I was like, what? Are you kidding, man? And he's like, yeah, you know Ganymedes? And I'm like, how did you hear that? Do you drink ayahuasca? He's like, no, I don't drink ayahuasca. And I'm like, well, how do you know? He's like, well, Ganymedes, it's the moon of Jupiter. And I was like, wait, what? Ganymedes is the moon of Jupiter? Because... I had been to the moon of Jupiter, but I didn't know it was called Ganymedes. And so uh-huh. immediately I look it up and sure enough, like there's a, one of the moons of Jupiter in English, we call it Ganymede, but in Spanish, yeah, it's Ganymede, pronou- yeah. pronounced Ganymedes. Oh. And, and so it just so happens that my father at that time was working for NASA. And so I wrote to him and I told him, like, listen to this story, you know, isn't this crazy? Can you ask the scientists at NASA? And so he asked around and I can't, I'm, I'm going to forget the guy's name. I want to say it was like John Holgram or something like that. But there was a chief scientist at NASA who responded and he said, yeah, I believe that there is life on the moon of Jupiter, on Ganymede. And that we wanted to send a satellite out to inspect it, but that the we didn't get the funding for it or something. And I think he then left NASA years later and wrote a, a book called, maybe called Dark Mission, where he talks about it. Um, I apologize, I don't have more of that information. Maybe you guys know about it. But um, uh, I'll look it up. Hobland. Hobland. No, we know the huh? Hobland. We know That's Hobland. Hobland. Yeah. yeah. Richard Hobland. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. That's right. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was super, super cool. Um, And yeah, and and so this was, you know, before 2012. And at one point, while I was talking to them, they said, you know, well, we're, we're building you a city on the moon of Jupiter. And I was like, wait, you're building me a city? I was like, not you. Like, we're building the human race a city on the moon of jupiter because soon you will start some of you will start to transcend the frequency of your existence like the plane of existence that you're on you'll transcend and you will become invisible to your own people uh, but you'll become visible to us and so if you want you can stay on the earth and be invisible to everyone or you can come and live with us as beings on our plane of existence. And so I was like, oh, that's that's 2012. That's what's going to happen. Like 2012 is when people are going to start transcending. And, um, and the way I looked at that was also, you know, kind of scientifically the way that we understand the three phases of water, where you have it as a solid in a low frequency and then liquid in a medium range frequency, and then the high frequency would be vapor. And so we're currently like in the the liquid phase, you could say, of our existence. But if we were to raise our vibrational frequency high enough, we would cross a threshold into the vapor phase of our existence, in which case we would be subjected to a whole new set of natural laws, but we would also become invisible to the people that were still in the liquid phase. And so that's kind of what I wonder when I said that there may be beings where we're mistakenly calling them extraterrestrial. They could just be uh, beings that were 
in the liquid phase like us, but then they transcended or ascended to the higher state of being. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, how do we know if we're even dead? If these people are in that other phase, are they, since they disappear, would they be considered dead, alive, in another dimension, <laughs> on another planet? We're learning more and more, but that's very fascinating. I like that perspective. Sasha, what do you have to add? Uh, that's a, a useful way to, uh, to look at things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like anything. Look, anything that we uh, wrap words around is just a series of hypothetical variables that our mind can sort of organize the data that it has, but it's not real. It's just what our, our organization of it. And so that any organization cuts it with Occam, so to speak, and what you're saying is an efficient way of understanding a hell of a lot. I, I can dig it. All right. I'm glad to hear that. Um, okay, let's get to what I wa would love to talk about, too, and it's something that you brought up, Janet, um, which was like, what is uh -huh. the mechanism? So I've, I've described like how ayahuasca helped me. I've talked about witnessing it helped so many other people. What actually happens, you know? How does it do that? Now, I talked a little bit about it, um, and I definitely feel like that's an important part specific to trauma. How does ayahuasca help you to... Uh, you know, go back and change your interpretation of a situation that initially had been very traumatic for you. And and in, in my description, I think is a good example of it. Like uh, so many times in childhood trauma, we just don't have the capacity or the, the maturity to understand and accurately interpret an experience. And so we inaccurately interpret it and then create a truth that resides within ourselves as our perception of ourself or our perception of the world around us or whatever that ends up being detrimental to ourselves. So something that ayahuasca allows us to do through the amplification of senses is to go back to a particular memory and yet it normally when you're thinking about a memory the feelings that are associated with the memory are not as vivid, you know, that you don't feel the same pain when you go back in a memory. It's there, but it's not the same level, the, the same depth. But because ayahuasca amplifies your senses, it you can actually achieve that. So you can go back and you can feel that same feeling, which makes the experience so real that if you change your perception of it, or you change your interpretation of it, even though it's essentially in a memory, the effect of the change replaces the original interpretation. And so by doing that, you can literally change fear to love in your memory of a situation. And that's essentially how you can resolve childhood trauma. But even if you don't have a specific act or a specific event the way that I described, just perceiving yourself and understanding the reality of your existence as a spirit is a vastly transformative experience because so many of us, because of our materialist paradigm, we're so caught in the idea that, one, we're alone. 
You know, we're just alone in the world. You make your friends and stuff, but you're you're alone. And and there, we have some weird phrase: you come into this world alone, and that's how you go out, or something like that. Which yeah, which is, which is yeah, it's it's terrible, and it's it's totally wrong. It's just completely inaccurate. And when you have a a true spiritual experience where you actually exist as a spirit, where you know this is who I am. I'm not my body. I'm not like all these things that carry with it judgments of good and bad and better or worse, inferiority and superiority and comparisons to everything else and who's better and who's worse. I am this beautiful thing made of light that everybody else is also. We are all just these beautiful things, like these beautiful miracles that is just so incredible. And then we would drive this car, you know, like the body turns into this vehicle. And then you're like, well, whatever, that's just your vehicle. And man, that's a cool car that guy's got. And you've got a cool car. Like, I've got a cool, check out my vehicle. But we all know that the reality of who we are is that we're all made of light, that we're all made of a, a love, and that this love is what flows through the whole universe. It's, it's God. We're like a cell in the body of God or the body of the universe or the body of the ultimate is or the body of whatever. Whatever this crazy thing is that is so mysterious and magical and miraculous, we're a part of. And that alone makes you like, wow, man, this is awesome. You know, like, I'm so glad to be what I am and who I am. And and so it's it's really hard to not love yourself when you realize that you are literally made of the loving energy of God. And, you know, maybe some people don't want to call it God. I'm just calling it that because that's the easiest term. And that, to me, is what God means, the consciousness that presides in all of the energy of the universe. But that same consciousness energy is what we're made of it's what mountains are made of it's what clouds are made of it's what plants are made of the universe is made of energy and that energy is made of consciousness and and so ayahuasca allows you to cut through all the crap and just see what we really are and what really is and i think it does that because we all have the ability to perceive that. But unfortunately, our perceptive ability is limited. And if we can amplify it even just a little bit, that might be all it takes to realize that we're all just incredibly, unbelievably magical creatures. Like, it's it's just a... Life is... You'll never even come close to figuring it out. And and that's so amazing. And and that kind of instantly brings you back to the innocence of a child. And no one can explain it away for you the way that our childhood gets explained away. You know, when we see something amazing and someone says, oh, that's just a cricket or whatever, you know. They, they cannot do that to the majesty of the spiritual world or or the reality of energy that we are made of you know and and so when you have that experience for yourself it definitely helps you to love yourself again because you're loving the part of you that 
is just energy and and that's everyone everyone is the same energy there's no black or white or red or yellow or tall or small or short or fat or skinny or whatever there's no beautiful or ugly either it's all amazing and and we're all of it you know and and so it, it just becomes so much easier to to love yourself because all of the the crap that we're conditioned to think just fades away into the background and it becomes kind of like a little tv show but we're, we're we know the ones that are actually writing and directing and acting and and then we can write the script however we want it wow wow uh, so can, well, I just, you know, this, I just love what you said, Carlos. What I want to know is can you, as an act of uh, direct consciousness without any substances, say, I wish to go to the consciousness that I can go to with, uh, with ayahuasca and experience it. Do you, uh, can you do that without the ayahuasca a substance? Can you do it just with your uh, concentration meditation? Are you asking me personally, or can it be done? Oh yeah, no, I'm asking you personally, and and your uh, and I like the generalization is can uh, others do it? Because uh, uh, we've been able to some degree to be able to do so, stuff sort of like that. Uh, say, I'm, I would like to have the consciousness of uh, when I did whatever it was, and you can actually uh, you can anesthetize your teeth and all. You can do all kinds of things. Uh, from your body, uh, mental, whatever it is, memory of the actual experience that you've already experienced. Right. Oh, I uh, man, do I believe so highly in consciousness, and I think that consciousness is the the place that deserves our attention more than anything else. And the way that Western medicine is going, uh, luckily, they're coming around to consciousness. What um, for so long they were really going in the completely wrong direction. Um, so yes, uh, but I admit my own limitations, and I and and I guess that's the whole game of it. You know, that's that's the whole challenge. Um, how do we overcome our self-prescribed limitations? And and so you know, we grow up, and and we eventually believe that. Certain things are impossible. You know, we, we, we come to hold on to that, to allow it to be a part of our reality. And then ayahuasca is what allows us to crack beyond that and say, oh, shit, that's not the reality. I hope that was okay to say. Um, and, yeah, it's just okay. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. And, um, and, and that's why it's such an amazing tool, you know, to, to show us. And once you let go of that truth, then it's gone. Now, like, the world of possibility returns. And, and that's an amazing thing. And that that's, you know, resembles your childhood innocence again and the power of it. Um, and so for me, in my personal life, like, I do believe that I have that ability. But, but I also recognize that it's not at the at the same depth. So if I take ayahuasca, you know, it takes me to a level that is deeper than where I can achieve on my own. Um, but do, do you know how, at what point is it necessary? Like, can I achieve my goals 
with my own abilities and i and i do feel that i can you know so um mm-hmm. of course i still uh work with ayahuasca but i i work with ayahuasca much less than i used to um and that's partly because i i do feel that i i just know like i've gotten to the point where i know that i have those abilities because i have had those abilities so many times mm-hmm. in ayahuasca mm-hmm. ceremonies that they're they're just the 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 abilities i have and so I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're talking about. Like it's yes, it's really like exactly. whether yeah. or not you know it, and if you do know it, it's true. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. It's very helpful. But that's like the, that's the big challenge because you can't want to know it. You know, you can't just want to know it. And so how do you, that's what that's the that's the whole um, the whole like mystery of faith. And what does it mean to be faithful? Like, so when you have true faith, then you know. And but if you don't, you know, how do you get to that point? Like, how do you work to the point where you know? You and that's kind of what people talk about blind faith. Like, blind faith. Well, that that doesn't. That's not really faith. You don't just say like, well, I just know because uh, I want to know. It's not the same. And that's where. Having the experience, even if you've only had, even if you just have it once, and you know that it can be done, that can have just an incredible difference in your ability to know of of what it is that you have your faith in, you know. And and when you have your faith, that is like the core. It becomes the core of your reality, and it becomes truthful. And and there's so many examples of it actually, like um, physical achievements. Like I believe. Nobody. It was impossible to break the four-minute mile, and then somebody did, and then like that year after that guy did, like a hundred people broke it. You know, like everybody's yeah. like, "Oh, you could do that," and like everybody does it. You know, and and that's the same, I think, with with ayahuasca. Like once you can see, like, "Oh, I can do this." Whoa! And then it changes. It's a game changer for you. But of course. How do you hold on to it? You know, you want to maintain it. You want to make sure that you keep it. And if you're living in a culture where they're trying to tell you that it's not true, then it, it becomes even more challenging. Wow. Right. So for these breakthroughs that people have, does it take one time, ten times? Is there any kind of trackable formula you can recommend to people that come down perhaps they they know they have some things they want to some breakthroughs do they set their intention uh is it guided or is it just free flowing yeah that's a great question i mean every person is unique obviously and so everyone um works at their own pace for me it was i just skyrocketed through it I will say that if I want to talk generally about it, I would say that you'd want to do a minimum of four ceremonies. Our shortest program is four ceremonies. I don't want to do anything less than four. Um, and that's because of just witnessing how many people have come through and, and you know how that process works. I do feel like the first ceremony is heavy on the physical aspects of it. There's a lot of purging, usually um, the cleansing of the physical body. And then the second ceremony oftentimes then goes 
deeper, like penetrating into the emotional body. And so then that uh, can sometimes be a lot of crying or, uh, you know, emotions coming out. It's also a cleansing, but a cleansing of the emotional body. And then the, the next would be the, the mind, the mental uh, programs and, you know, really like uh, cleaning up the, the wiring, so to speak, of the mind and, and the channels of the mind. And again, it's like a cleansing, but uh, of the of the mental body. And then the last would be the, the spiritual body. And that would be like the, the deepest penetration. And, um, and at that point, usually people have a handle on it. Like they kind of have figured out how this thing goes so um, oftentimes that fourth ceremony comes in line with uh, that empowerment and and that to me is like kind of the the goal really is to get uh, people to a point where they regain their their self-power their self-worth and their belief in themselves and so that generally speaking happens in in four ceremonies at a minimum but of course some people it takes longer and, and some people it's all in one night um, that's rare, but I have definitely seen people have one ceremony and then that's all they needed. Um, I would say that's probably like twice I've seen that out of a thousand. Uh, but it's possible, you know, and I definitely think anything is really possible. I would say um, that if you're looking to heal a, a real diagnosed physical affliction, you know, you've got diabetes or hepatitis or cancer or something like that, then I would say you're now pushing more towards three weeks to a month, if not up to six weeks or even two months of treatment, um, which honestly is such a small amount of time. Uh, we did a documentary called Ayahuasca Diary. We had a guy come down from Los Angeles. He had prostate cancer. He had it for three years. He was with us for 18 days and at the end of the he went home and got a biopsy and it showed that he was cancer free. That was shot in 2008. He's still cancer free more than 10 years later. So, I mean, he's healed. Like he doesn't have cancer. That took 2 weeks. You know, it took four ceremonies. Um and and the other treatment. So, amazing things can definitely happen. Does that mean like, oh, you've got cancer? Carlos said it will be healed in two weeks. Of course not. You know, like every single person is different. Um, he came down and he had faith in the plants from day one. Like he knew the plants were going to heal him. And that is huge. When you, and then, you know, it's it's not easy going through treatment. Um, you know, it's not just about drinking ayahuasca. There's a lot of plants that are employed. There are a lot of cleanses. A lot of uh, plants that make you like have diarrhea or that make you throw up or that make you sweat or that make you, you know, purge in some way or another. And they're not fun. But his attitude was always whatever it takes. And I want to make T-shirts that say that, to be honest, because it's, <laughs> it, it yeah. yeah, it's so powerful. Like if you have that attitude, whatever it takes, then you're going to succeed. You know, that's just like whatever you're doing. And he had that attitude, whatever it takes. And, 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 and it showed like his results were very fast and very effective. So what do you do to prepare? How can one prepare for this type of work? Yeah, I, I look at diet. 
spiritual yeah. what would they do I look so much more, believe it or not, on consciousness than I do on the physical aspects. Um, of course, I do think it's uh, helpful to try to he- eat a healthy lifestyle. You know, you, you're going to essentially want to make changes to your life that will be lasting. So, whatever you can do to start that process before you even arrive or before you enter into the like official treatment part of it, before you drink ayahuasca the better, you know, of course. So if you know you're eating terrible food, then, yeah, it would be great to make changes. You know, you want to eat less stimulants. You want to eat less processed food. You want to eat more natural foods. You want to eat less chemicals. You want to be cleaner. And I think that's the, uh, that's that's something that I really love, to be honest. Like the whole process, nobody heals anything. Like, I can't heal you. You will heal. All a doctor can do is remove the obstacles. And so when you get a cut, you know, you you may be like gardening or whatever and you have an accident and you cut yourself, you cut your leg, let's say. You don't heal it. Nobody heals it. It heals. That's just a, it's like a law of the universe. There's a divine motivating principle towards health and wholeness and harmony and balance. And it will happen unless something gets in the way. So what do you do? How do you heal your cut? Well, you clean it. That's the first thing you do. You clean it and then you keep it clean. And that's all you do because it's going to heal. And so that's essentially what, our process is too. You want to clean your system, you know. And the the easiest way to to understand that is physically, of course. Yeah, you want to clean your body. So yeah, that's one of it. But you also want to clean your emotional body. You want to clean your mental body, and you want to clean your spiritual body. Those are a little bit trickier because we don't have such familiarity with those concepts in Western reality. But they're the same idea. You know, it's just that it's a different frequency. And I have I, I like the, you know, when I was talking about how we're like kind of the liquid phase and you can ascend to the vapor phase when I was discussing my experiences with extraterrestrials. Well, I like looking at the our own system in terms of phases. So our body, our physical body is like the ice, you know, it's the solid form of this material. And our emotions that flow are the liquid form. They're the vibrational frequency of the liquid phase of our own existence. And then our mental state, though, that's the the vapor phase. That's the higher frequency. But what is the material? The material isn't water in this case. It's spirit. That's, That's what we're made of. And so our spirit manifests in three different frequencies that are the body and the emotions and the mind. And all of them can be cleansed and by cleansing them then we just remove the obstacles and allow the divine motivating principle of health harmony happiness and balance to fulfill its destiny and run its course and that's that's such a beautiful way like i love that concept so much it resonates so much with me so you don't fight an illness you know you don't have to go in there and kill something and fight it and you know this kind of violent aspect that is often associated with western medicine it's just about keeping your system clean and 
And so in terms of preparation, you want to like try to keep your emotions uh, clean. And sometimes, you know, preparing is just about thinking about your emotions and looking deeply at them and, and going someplace by yourself. I always tell people like the best advice I have for preparation is to go and spend time with the trees and spend time with the plants. If there's a park nearby, if you live in the city, go to that park by yourself and just walk through it in a very uh, intimate way, you know, touching the, the, the barks of the trees and really sitting with the leaves and feeling the grass and, you know, communing with, with nature because nature is already clean. You know, the, the, the trees don't need to be pur purified. The plants that they don't have anything dirty in them, and and so they're our best cleansers for the aspects of ourselves that are less easy to see, like the emotions and the and the thoughts and the spirits, and so that's really my best advice. Like, of course, make changes; those are the obvious ones that you know will help you be a healthier person. But more time in nature—that's something that I think is the most important part. So you, um, Sasha, you knew Terrence McKenna and uh, you had said, Carlos, that your stuff, your way of working was different than Terrence's. Can you guys both address that a little bit? Well, I, what, I, what I'm hearing is that, uh, that uh, you are, uh, have your own way of expressing yourself, which is unique and wonderful, and I can listen to you for hours. And Terrence had his, and uh, uh, you know, I think you're the uh, like the Terrence McKenna of our day. You've got such wisdom and such groovy things to say. I am totally in support of you, and uh, will sing your praises and get people to read your book and stuff. I love what you're saying, bro. So keep it up. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, honestly, when it came to Terrence McKenna, um, like I said, he was a f phenomenon. Like, what an incredible person and such a pioneer. And where would we be in our understanding without his contributions? But his contributions didn't weren't just the end. And we were like, yep, that's the way it is. They continued. And, you know, they continue now more. And, and so that's the... That's the essence of science, and and honestly, that's mm -hmm. the reality of the indigenous tradition too. I really don't like the word tradition because I don't think it accurately describes what it's trying to. Uh, oftentimes, we look at tradition, especially indigenous tradition, as Westerners, and we say like, "Well, that's that's how their ancestors did it," and that's only partly true. Um, I, I've been working with ayahuasca for 15 years, which I don't think is very long at all. And yet in those 15 years, just observing my teachers who are indigenous, they've changed things so much. They've made so many changes. They've learned so much. And they're not doing it the way their parents did it. And they're definitely not doing it the way their grandparents did it. And And yet it's the tradition, of course. It's still the tradition. So... Traditions change, they improve, they adapt. And, and that to me is an important lesson that, I, that took me a time to learn just by observing the changes and the adaptation. And, and that's what has to happen. And that's, that's why I always say like the forest, 
the forest knows everything. You like whatever you want, the forest knows. And and the one big lesson that the forest teaches is adaptation. You know what? That's the greatest skill of all. Like if you cannot adapt, you will not survive. That the greatest skill you have is adaptation. And and ayahuasca has been adapting, and now ayahuasca is spreading all over the world. There are ceremonies in Hawaii for sure. And this weekend, I'm sure there'll be like 20 of them. In Los Angeles, there'll probably be like 200 ceremonies this weekend. And in New York and in Moscow and in Africa and Hong Kong and Australia and all over the world, there are ayahuasca ceremonies happening this this weekend or maybe right now. But they're not all being done the same way. And they shouldn't because ayahuasca is going to adapt to the needs and the environment that it's used in. And and that to me is super fascinating. Like I'm I'm so curious to see like how another ten years will play out and where we'll be and what I'll be talking about in ten years from now. Well, what do you see has changed? Um, well, part of it I I liken it. I'm you know I'm not a a uh, expert at yoga at all but I imagine that it's very similar to what happened with yoga yoga is you know such an incredibly deep and profound spiritual practice but when it became globalized it kind of became watered down and be, you know became uh, like a shallow version of itself so a lot of it is like going and moving your body into particular positions now when if you were back in India, you know, studying it in 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 the heart of its uh, people, in the heart of its culture, then it would have been something way deeper than that. And that, I think, is what's happening with ayahuasca. You know, where my perspective, living there and being there with the coranderos, like, there's no end to the depth of this tradition. It's just so incredibly deep and so incredibly powerful and 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 profound. But as it's passing out, I already see like people are, uh, you know, they're they're reducing it and they're they're shallowing their understanding of it is, you know, is shallowed because they don't have a decade to to devote to understanding it, and and so they're like, well, yeah, it helps with depression and it helps with anxiety and and. You know, I've seen it help so many things and then AIDS being healed and cancer being healed and everything, you know, um, but now it's becoming more shallow and that's going to happen, I think. So you're going to see a lot more people like having ceremonies that aren't going to go as deep and they aren't going to be as powerful, but they're still going to be beneficial. And I kind of feel that way about yoga too. Like just because you're going to a, a class in Hawaii or in LA or wherever you are and you're, you know, go, getting into some positions and maybe you just don't even know like any concepts from the depths of the, of the, the true tradition, that doesn't mean that it's not beneficial. And in the end, the bottom line is, do you benefit from it? And yeah, maybe a ceremony that in in Hawaii or a ceremony in Arizona or a ceremony in Sweden or wherever isn't going to provide the same potential benefit that one would if you were in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, that's that's possible. That's probable. But but that doesn't mean that it's not going to help you. And so that's kind of what I see happening. But at the same time, I kind of feel like 
there are all of these people that uh, maybe, you know, at me as an example, like there are all these people whose path it is to be a healer. Well, I mean, all of our ancestors used medicinal plants and most of them used psychotropic plants. Thanks to Terrence McKenna's studies, he demonstrated We're that. running out of time. Please tell Tell us uh, how to reach you and the website and all that stuff. Sure. So I hope that we can revive our own ancestral traditions. And so, yeah, you can reach me at the website for our company, Ayahuasca Foundation. So ayahuasca spelled A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A, foundation.org. Or you can just search for me on Google, Carlos Tanner, T-A-N-N-E-R. And... Um, yeah, then you can find me on Facebook and we're on Instagram and, uh, you know, all the social media uh, avenues. And, yeah, definitely um, if you visit our website, ayahuascafoundation.org, you can shoot me an email and I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has about our programs or anything else. Thank you, Carlos, for coming on the show. Much love and blessing, Dan. Aloha. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Sasha. Aloha. Take care, you guys. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener-supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free, but there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps.